Whitman loved Lincoln. I mean, he, um, he looked up to him like a superhero. He would literally follow him around. Welcome to the YU Ideas podcast, where values-based education meets today's challenges and opportunities with your host, Rabbi Dr. Stuart Halpern. Today's guest is Associate Professor of English and Chair of the English Department at Yeshiva University's Stern College for Women, Dr. Matt Miller. In today's hyper-polarized time, there is a vehement disagreement, sometimes that unfortunately seeps into even violence, over what and who gets to define what America is meant to be about. You, Professor Miller, are studying a poet, a poet who died in 1892, who, you argue, is someone that we, all who care deeply about America, America's character and what it can and should be, would well benefit learning more about. Tell us about who you're interested in and why. Well, these are polarized times for sure. And if there was a time when they were more polarized, it was when Whitman was writing his classic book, Leaves of Grass. Uh, this was in the 10-year run-up to the American Civil War, which took more American lives than all subsequent wars combined up to the Second Iraq War. That's more than all American GIs that were lost to both guns and disease in World War II, along with World War I, Vietnam. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of death. So the time when Whitman was becoming Whitman was somewhat paradoxically, because Whitman was the great poet of unity, the time of great division, the time of greatest division, the time that this division s spilled out into bloody warfare, not just... Uh, hateful things on the internet. And tell us a little bit about Walt Whitman. What, what's his background? What, what forged him? Well, he's a poet. Um, he's, his greatness is in his writing. Um, most of us are, that's what we find most inspiring about him. But he's been appealing to uh, the full spectrum of Americans um, on both sides of the aisle. He's not just a darling of the left or the right. Um, because in part his vision of unity is so embracing and inspiring, and also because he praises um, America in a way that's sort of transcendent of our current partisan moment, and his interests um, don't really line up conveniently with, say, Democrat-Republican values. It's, uh, you know, today he would, he would probably find himself closer to one side than the other, but it wouldn't be a comfortable fit in either box. And is there a work of his, maybe that listeners might not realize uh, is his, or what would be the most familiar to the uninitiated, to the non-Walt Whitman scholars, that they might say, "Oh, I didn't realize that was Walt Whitman." Well, if you read Whitman, you, you, and you, you know, you're not—if you're not someone who reads poetry very much—then the only place you probably encountered Whitman was in high school, um, or maybe at the Walt Whitman Mall, or the Walt Whitman Bridge, or the Walt Whitman Turnpike, and all the other things <laughs> named after Walt Whitman. <laughs> but um, in terms of reading Walt Whitman, most of us do it in school. Um, I think that's a shame, but it's a fact. And so you, know, you might have read Oh, Captain, My Captain. Or maybe you, maybe you saw the film uh, Dead Poets Society. There's another film called Beautiful Dreamers, which focuses on Whitman. And so... Um, and Oh, Captain, My yeah. Captain was, was about what or who? About Abraham Lincoln. Um, another reason why Whitman is important to uh, both sides of the political aisle is because of his almost idolization of of Lincoln as an American hero. Lincoln is one of, is one of the few presidents that uh, both sides of the aisle respect and venerate. He's survived all of our culture wars intact so far. Um, so, far so far, Lincoln hasn't been canceled. Um, 
Whitman loved Lincoln. I mean, he um, he looked up to him like a superhero. I mean, he would almost he would literally follow him around in D.C. to get a sight at him, like a wow. kind of the way people treat uh, stars in New York City, like hmm. walk around Times Square hoping for sure. a glimpse of somebody. Um, that was and, and in those days, the president would walk around just on the sidewalk. No, there mm. was, the Secret Service hadn't been invented yet. Secret Service was invented, by the way, um, hours before Lincoln was assassinated. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Uh, a little too little, too late, too, I guess. And well, except that the original Secret Service was an anti-counterfeiting huh. branch of the government. It didn't become uh, the branch that protects politicians until... Um, two more presidents had been shot. <laughs> wow! Then, then they figured out they, they learned their lesson. They, they figured out they needed to provide a little more protection. So he was almost like a literary TMZ. Instead of snapping <laughs> photos, he was cranking out verses. Yeah, yeah, he was. You know, he was like the uh, literary paparazzi. Yeah, and what are uh, is there a particular work or verses or couplet or you know is is there is there something you'd like to recite for our listenership or or something to draw our attention to that you think encapsulates all right i'm going to do yeah. two i'm going to do one more poetic and elegant one and, and and then i'll do one very very short one the more poetic one is the first few lines of what i think is his greatest poem song of myself and it goes like this i celebrate myself and what i assume you shall assume for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. And then this other one is just a very uh, short part of a poem called To the States. It goes like this. Resist much, obey little. That's actually become a meme. Hmm. Resist much, obey little. Um, and it's come to mean pretty much anything <laughs> they, people want it to mean. Originally, it was a message about states' rights. Hmm. It was an, the states were speaking to the federal government saying, Whitman was saying that the states should resist much. Mm. He was speaking. I, mean, I, mean, I meant to say that he was speaking to the states, not yes. that the states were speaking. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that they should resist much and obey little. But now it's, um, you know, you saw that on T-shirts at Occupy Wall Street and hmm. um, Black Lives Matter and so on. It's become mm-hmm. a slogan for all kinds of demonstrators. And uh, yeah, I love it. And so what, catchy. Yeah. And what was his what was his schooling? What was his writer training? Is Was he an autodidact? He was an autodidact. Uh-huh. Yeah. He... Uh, one interesting thing about Whitman that I find inspiring is that he was the first major canonical English language poet to come from something you could plausibly describe as a working class background. All the other great poets that you might think of, uh, like Wordsworth, Shelley, Keats, Shakespeare, Chaucer, they all, like all poets before Whitman, were mm. from almost exclusively upper class families, lived life of leisure, didn't have to have a job. Um, poetry has been a rich person's uh, occupation for mm most of American, most of um, world history. But Whitman managed to get it done um, coming from a family where his father was a carpenter and his mother was stay-at-home mom. And um, and he had to work all the time that he was writing these poems. He, he was a journalist, a school teacher, a printer. Hmm. He, he, he held down full-time jobs the whole time that he was writing some of the greatest poetry ever. So I find that kind of inspiring. He was not a Montaigne sitting in a castle just right. having no... Uh, Economic pressing needs, financial needs whatsoever, just taking his time. That's how that's how they all yeah. were pretty much. Yeah, you know, they all were from. They're gentlemen, and, and gentlemen back then didn't didn't work, <laughs> or if they did, they might dabble in this or that. But it wasn't like you go out and get a nine to five job like today. And uh, so, if uh, he was different than them, what were some of his influences? I know you're working on an, another project about influence, writerly influence. Can you tell us a bit about his influences and your larger project? Yeah, so my, my current book project, the one, I'm working on two things. One is a collection of Whitman's journals and notebooks. It's the second volume 
Um, that one's under contract already. That's a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is like an unfinished manuscript that I don't have a contract for yet, but I'm more excited about it because it's my own book. I'm writing it. It's not an editing job. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's it's the it's it's about starts with Whitman and then it becomes an exploration of influence in general, hmm. how it works, what happens when one literary artist influences another. It's like a deep dive mm. into influence. And I use like most recent theories, some psychology and literary theory to um, come up with an explanation that I think respects what I believe is the truth about influence, which is that artists are much, much more self-conscious of it than current models typically allow. Like one model that describes influence portrays it through a Freudian light, hmm. and it looks at it. This is like Harold Bloom's idea. It's sure. called the anxiety of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's nonsense. I think that's just totally Well, bogus. what is his theory, and why is it both? In a nutshell, his theory is that influence operates through the lens of anxiety and that it's kind of like the uh, Oedipal complex applied to influence. Um, so the the artist is always trying to sort of uh, um, defeat the father, defeat hmm. the like uh, main influence through overcoming that. So if your big influence is Whitman, then you'll be you'll find Whitman is both a friend and a foe, somebody that helps you get the job done, but somebody who you want to do better than. Sure. And so it's looked at through this lens of psychological repression based on ideas of conflict, which I think is just nonsense and silliness. Mm-hmm. Um, few are more aware of their their influences than artists are. Artists are intensely aware. It's not subconscious. It is very conscious, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a self conscious process of engagement. Mm-hmm. And and that's just it's strange to me that current ideas of influence ignore that and downplay that. It's empowering to the critic to imagine that artists are passive creatures buffeted about by the winds of the subconscious, but it's just not true. Um, so anyway, my, my second book tries to uh, work with that idea. And so who were Whitman's influences, conscious or otherwise? Biggest influence was, was Emerson. Uh, Emerson in the Bible, um, hmm. English translations of um, both you know, what Christians refer to as the New Testament and mm-hmm. um, English translations of the Torah. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, the rhythms of his lines, it was the ancient Hebrew prophets. Really? And the beauty, the beautiful poetry of the Bible that was, but in terms of like the content, Mm -hmm. he was more influenced by America's most important philosopher, Ralph Waldo Emerson. And can you give us an example uh, about uh, his engagement with the biblical text? What's a poem or work to look at? His mother was uh, a member, well, yeah, she was, early on anyway, she was a member of what the Society of Friends, Mm -hmm. known as Quakers. Mm -hmm. And so he had a Quaker background. Mm-hmm. And Quakers, unlike most other Christians, are really open-minded and debate-oriented about exegesis, um, maybe closer to some like you know, debate-oriented models of uh, investigating Torah, where there's not a, um, a meaning imposed from hmm. a top-down. Yeah, right. it's not like the Pope at the top, sure. a hierarchy. And sure. This, like, conflict-based model where you, like, suss out what it really means and then you honor what might be a little bit imaginative interpretations just to see where they go. Sure. That kind of thing. Um, that I think that would be something, that that way of looking at things was in line with, with the Transcendentalists. Emerson mm-hmm. described things that way. Whitman kind of soaked it up. Whitman heard Emerson speak Give a, he gave a famous lecture in New York City called, which today we refer to as a lecture on the poet. And Whitman was there, and he thought, yeah, I want to be that. Hmm. That's me. I want to do what Emerson's saying. So, yeah, Emerson's the biggest influence there in terms of, like, life influences, but in terms of the music of, the, of his language, um, the, 
the Old Testament even more than the New, hmm. the Torah more than the New Testament. Was there a particular um, Old Testament story, Hebrew Bible story, that he lasered in on, or is just the work as a whole? Samson was one, hmm. yeah. Uh, the idea, you know, you probably know more about this than me, but Whitman was drawn to the idea of, like, uh, power being in one's beard or hair. Mm. Like, yeah, hair, long hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, like, he grew, he where he was a shaggy guy. Mm. And um, he often talked about his beard with this kind of reverence that I've sometimes heard rabbis talk about beards. Uh-huh. Fascinating. Uh, you know, wishing some young man would right. be more traditional. With the <laughs> Whitman was all about that kind of thing. Pictures of him, he looks a, he looks a bit... Biblical. Almost. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. You know, he's got the long beard and the wise look. And I think he has often has kind of a distant look in his eye that, I don't know, it's... A little mysterious. To so me. it sounds like almost like you think of women as a, maybe even a, a semi-prophetic figure, giving us uh, lessons, uh, harkening back to ancient times that we can apply today. Is that fair a to lot say? of people do? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was he was a poet, right? Mm-hmm. So he was an artist. Um, he was not um, a great prophet, mm-hmm. but he was, I think, a person that was divinely inspired. Hmm. You can interpret that however you want. I don't think that he was the direct pipeline to the divine. But I do think he had a more intense experience of um, grace than most of us. Hmm. And that um, he experienced love um, intensely and diversely in ways that continue to resonate and teach people today and continue to open our hearts. And so if Whitman was to remind us of our best selves, of America's best selves, what are two or three things that we should keep in mind or we can glean from his writings today? America can sustain itself as one whole thing. We can go forward as one people. If we can get through the Civil War, we can get through the present moment. So one thing you can find inspiring is how Whitman emerged from the assassination of Abraham Lincoln um, and and wasn't defeated by it. saw the he, he he helped he was a volunteer nurse of sorts in civil war hospital where he witnessed tens of thousands of dying soldiers horrible things things nobody should see but he came out of it without with his optimism intact and his belief in america intact um another thing i think you can find inspiring is that he's like somebody that redeems patriotism hmm. some it's maybe more of a thing on the left but um uh, Whitman's a hero to environmentalists and others that I associate more with the political left. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, his family was intensely patriotic. In fact, mm-hmm. one of his brothers was named George Washington Whitman, and another hmm. one was Thomas Jefferson Whitman. Wow. Um, so that's kind of an interesting way that he uh, doesn't quite fit into our neat little categories of left and right. And that's something I, I guess I find inspiring. Like, um, I think that would be a good thing, a wise thing for both sides to maybe— Try to uh, look at, respect our country a little more. I don't know. I sound, I sound jingoistic when I say that, but I guess I do think that America is still a great place, and um, what's with all the I'm, I'm as aware as anybody of the problems. But Whitman helps remind me of um, the many good things that still remain in the old weird America that I love, that created some so much great music and art. And, it's been such a tremendous inspiration around the world. Whitman reminds me of the good face of America. Well, for leading the way and reminding us we'd live in a wiser world if we would read more Walt Whitman. I hope so. We, I we so. appreciate your teaching, Dr. Miller. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
The Why You Ideas podcast is a production of the Office of the Provost of Yeshiva University and Uri Westridge. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you like what you're listening to. We want to hear from our listeners. Write to us at shalpern at yu.edu. In the meantime, stay deeply rooted and forward-focused.